0: Hi and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge and bless you. I want to talk for the next little bit and uh, maybe uh, maybe past this service we'll see uh, what the Lord has in store, but that's, that would be my thinking. Uh, and I'm going to title this Replacement Theology. Replacement Theology. Now I do that partially to trigger the theologians in the room because we do not believe in replacement theology. Um, it is a, and it, it, replacement theology is a view in which the church is the new and one and true Israel and has permanently replaced and superseded Israel as the people of God. Another term usually found in academic circles is uh, supersessionism, right? So we're not into replacement theology. We, we take the, uh, well, I believe the more biblical approach that we as the church are grafted in uh, to the people of God, the chosen people of God, and that he has not forgotten Israel and that he does not uh, replace his church and his, prosen, uh, his chosen people. The word of God says that as, as long as the sun still stands, so stand his promise to Israel. So we pray for the peace of Israel. We love Israel, and uh, we pray that God, uh, his blessing, his hand of protection be upon them. Amen? amen replacement theology so i did that you know I, I a lot of my titles are well primarily so that we can recall uh, the you know and kind of have some kind of cohesion to the thought and to the the study and the course of study but also uh, to trigger matt and steve i like uh, if i can do both of those then it's a good start to a good day amen somebody said amen if you like to trigger matt and steve Amen. Praise God. <laughs> they're, they're, the kids in their, in their Sunday school class said, amen, let it be so. <laughs> amen. See, the church has been grafted into Israel as the chosen people of God. And according to Romans uh, 11, there's a huge portion in Romans uh, chapter 11 about this. I'm going to read part of that because I want you to understand that, uh, you know, the, the faultiness, uh, the fallacy of replacement theology. The word of God is the easiest way to do it. Just read the Bible. Right? I don't have to make a 10-point you know, you know, argument that you, sh- you should be able to just kind of pick that up. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who, are, who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, the severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided to continue in this kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And so uh, that, that in itself is a pretty, good, uh, a pretty good explanation, that we are grafted in uh, to the people of God, that we've been chosen, that we've been selected um, through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ, and we can now be a part of those who are chosen by Him and be a part of His family, His church. Does that make sense? Amen. So replacement theology today is our study of how God doesn't just remove and condemn bad things in our life, though, but that he, spill, that he fills that spot with other things. And so, uh, even though, like, I used that title, and it kind of had to explain what that title meant, uh, our study today, our, our message today, Replacement Theology, I believe that it's not God's will just to rip things and tear things out of our lives, uh, but rather that He has an abundance of things that He wants to replace those things with, particularly, uh, you know, He doesn't just leave you there, He doesn't just take away and, and, and say, don't sin, don't do this, don't be, don't be angry, don't be sad, don't do this, but there is an abundance in the things of God, when you read the word that he wants to do in our life, like he doesn't want you just to no longer, uh, you know, uh, be uh, a, a, a per- person who is full of lust and, and sinful passions. However, he wants to replace that. He wants to give you uh, the passion uh, to serve him, the passion uh, in a biblical godly marriage, like those things that, that have been perverted by the enemy and by the fallen nature of this earth. God actually has better things than the things that he cuts off, Right? so important this is so so important sanctification is not just the study of what to cut off and what not to but it is also the journey of learning what we should do what through the grace of god and the empowerment of the holy spirit we can now do sanctification is wonderful it's empowering it's not something that's discouraging and then puts us into an ever-shrinking tiny box you ever think of it like that though You ever think sanctification is is the process of weeding out everything fun in my life until I am just this husk of a spiritualized caricature that does nothing, enjoys nothing, and and, and, and is, is just cut off from all good things in life. It can feel like that way if it's wrongly contextualized. Sanctification is not that. See, I'll give you a couple scriptures to back this up. I don't ever want to, uh, to, to preach doctrine without scriptural backing. Exodus 3 and 2, the, the Bible says this. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. So the, even the immediate verbiage, the first, some of the first times he's talking about sanctifying, he's saying, don't, don't, don't just sanctify them from the world. Don't just cut them off sanctify them unto me give them to me that they can learn how i do it that they can they, they, they can be recipients of the goodness the joy the benefits of what it is to have a true and genuine relationship with the living god and all the things that he brings with that walking with him and forsaking the world that is where we find joy now, it doesn't seem like that, and initially when you cut yourself off the nasty stuff you know, of the world and on those things that are toxic, immediately that feels bad. It doesn't, it's not enjoyable. The process of sanctification is not, though, just cutting off from things that our flesh wants, but it is empowering things that our spirit wants. And deeper in Christ we find fullness of joy. 2 Timothy 2 and 22 says, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes— made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So we find out that sanctification is not just becoming less like the world, it's becoming more like Christ, and that opens up a whole new, better world. Because there's nothing better than being used by God, than the benefits and the joys and the purpose that comes with being a child of God, an anointed child of God. It doesn't take that many times around the sun to understand how fruitless it is to just serve our own selves, our own wants, our own desires. One thing I have learned, and especially if, you have, you know, if you've been around very many children, they are not grateful for anything for very long. Right? And if it's just about collecting more and more and more stuff, a little bit more square footage on the house, a little faster car, or, or, or whatever it is that you're trying to upgrade your wardrobe to or your lifestyle to, You'll find out that if you consider yourself to be on the, uh, on the ladder of life, no matter high, how high you climb, really the only thing you're ever going to see is the boots of the person who's just ahead of you. That will be your constant moving measurement of success. And it gets really old. How many of you know that for a fact? How many ever maybe in some area in your life or in your profession, you, you know what it is to swim with the, with the sharks. You know what it is to have a little bit of, just a little bit of success and see what it felt like and found it to be pretty hollow when it really came down to it. It didn't satisfy like the things of God satisfy. Now, I'm not trying to con you. I'm not trying to talk you into it. I'll tell you, taste and see that the Lord is good. And outside of Him, I've not found a lot of purpose like timothy tells us not a lot of usefulness and not a lot of joy how many of you know what i'm talking about and so for nearly 20 years i've been saying this this has been one of my little current uh, common themes in my ministry and for some reason i still see myself uh, in that house on kenbrook having this discussion actually with jess who is who is you know just you know, a little little tyke at that point. But I was and I was some, just pouring out my theology and my, my frustrations and problems. She's like, yeah. <laughs> She's a little bitty thing. But but she and I both kind of agreed. We're like, it just seems like sometimes as kids, you know, and I'm not blaming dad. He was the pastor. But you know, just the whole world view. Um, it, it seems like that Christianity is just about taking stuff away from us all the time. You know. It seems like it's just a a lot of stuff that I can't do. I can't go here. I can't act like this. I can't watch that. I can't listen to that, you know, or else Dad will take my CDs away. Like, I can't do this and there, you know, yeah, yeah. amen. Uh, Or, uh, like, there's just a list of cannot, 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 and it's really frustrating, and I'm just sitting here with a very empty space of stuff I cannot do. I just feel like the Bible, you know, like the preacher is the CEO of stop it. You cannot No, 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 anything fun, anything that you desire, anything that, you know, you know, don't, don't, don't do nothing. That's fine. And, you know, as a kid, that's how it felt. And so me and Jess fixed the problem, you know. We decided, you know, what the solution was. And honestly, I find it to be so today. The exact same. We said... You can't just take things from kids without offering them something better to do in return. Yeah. Amen. That's why I'm really a big proponent of our kids and youth ministry. That's why I love to see him up here, them up here worshiping and seeking God. Seeking God. That's why um, you know, almost to a fault, maybe um, I suffer the little children to come up to the altar to be a part of what we're doing, uh, to stay up here and to be blessed and to and to have a portion of all that God does in this house. Because I want them to very clearly understand and tap into early on that there is something that God is replacing the sin and the wickedness and the. And the wrongness of this world with there is something that is better and you have a portion and I want you to have a little taste I want you to get a taste in your mouth before you get all the other stuff and it just becomes a battle to not do and not do and not do realize there's something to do in life that there's a purpose that there's a usefulness there's an anointing there is fullness of joy in the Lord and in his house and following his precepts I want them to understand that I want to paint a very clear superiority of walking with God early on. It's better. And I'm never going to be cool enough to do that. I'm never going to outproduce the world. So we've got to get them connected to something that is bigger and better than anything that we are or can do. But whenever they have a relationship with Jesus Christ early on, then praise God, it'll spoil it'll ruin them for the world. Isn't that a thought? They had such a relationship and such an experience in Christ at such an early age, it all but ruined them for the world. I like that. Let us facilitate that kind of experience. Amen? I don't want, I don't want our babies to know anything about church splits. Or about backbiting or arguing or, or this family and that family, you are not doing this. Like, let, don't ever let them hear. And if you have to discuss something, let it just be between you and the spouse behind closed doors. Never let it dribble down. Amen? Let the only thing that dribbles down from you be the anointing that comes from Christ and the joy of the Lord. Don't let them in on any of our issues or problems. Let it, and, and it's not that we want to paint a fake picture. We want to shield them and protect them. We want to give them the most clear version of Christ and his body and the way that he operates. Amen? And so even better than just, like, whispering all those bad things, why don't we just nod? <laughs> I kind of backed up my theology a second. I was like, so when you're doing wrong, just don't let him hear. Well, let's just be right. Let's follow after God. Let's live for God with passion and joy and transparency. Let's be the, hey, let's be the church that we want our children to grow up in. I was texting one of my buddies the other day that I said, I said, you know, may we build the church that we're proud to raise our children in, and may, they, may their thoughts toward their upbringing and their church experience only be the, the firm foundation on which they stand in all the good things of the world and or the good things of the word instead of all the negativity, right? I don't want a generation of stories about how, oh, it was crazy, and you know, this person said, that. no. Let's live that close in sanctification that our children, the only stories they have, and then whenever they go to Bible school or they go out to college and someone else said, oh, I grew up in church and it was, and they'll just be like, I can't relate. Do I remember when God healed? Y'all ever do any of that? I want to feel very awkward in most church past conversations like oh really and then they stood up and yelled that in church or like somebody who's mad really no i remember when we had baptism service i remember when i remember when god brought us through that i remember when we had that that cool thing that happened i remember uh, whenever god uh, delivered somebody um, from from uh, demonic uh, you know uh, control i remember when somebody when god did great things and then we had this worship conference and it was awesome and god did great things like i can't really relate to your church pain amen but the thing is we cannot just take things from our children and not replace them with better things but also god's desire is not to just take things from you and then make you walk this impossible tightrope of sanctification where you're constantly afraid that you're going to fall and mess up and goof up but rather there are things that he wants to give you today not just take things that will fill you so full of God, of his joy, of his his gladness, of his purpose, and his anointing, and and, in his firm hope and faith, that you will have no room for the things that you had to give up. You won't even miss them. Amen? This is important. Replacement theology in this context is very, very important, I would say. And the reason that I believe that is Matthew 12, 43 through 45 says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from whence I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty. Somebody say empty. Empty. Swept and put in order. Now, the swept and put in order is not the problem. The problem is being empty. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation." Right? Now there's a lot of a purpose and there's a lot of things that Jesus is saying in his teaching there, um, but particularly what I want to take away is a very sound spiritual concept that whenever you sweep the place and clean it and, and you, you, the spirit is cast out and it goes away, uh, he'll go wander for a little while, circle back and see if you've actually replaced it with anything or whether you're just trying to exist as somebody who doesn't sin. Somebody, somebody who just doesn't do bad. Like, you know, I've given up that, that addiction to that thing that was bad and, and wicked. And so now I just exist as somebody who doesn't do wrong. And that is a very sad, untenable position, to be honest with you. You know? Uh, you cannot live in the negative. And children can't live in the negative. If all they ever hear is no, 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 no. I actually listened to myself um, accidentally. I, I was working out whatever I was doing, and I, in, in my headphones, um, the podcast I was listening to ended. And so then I went on our church podcast, and it switched automatically. So I had to hear myself yelling at myself you know, while I was doing whatever I was doing uh, for a little while. But, you know, I got around to some preaching. I was like, all right, a little bit of preaching there. And I, was, I guess I was rebuking the, the, the children and also, you know, encouraging them. And so in this uh, podcast, um, I was saying, uh, I'm proud of you to the young ones. I said, you're doing real good today. You acted right. And I appreciate the spirit of worship that you're demonstrating. And I said, I rebuke you when you're wrong, but I also want to bless you when you do right. Amen. Because that's how it works. You can't just live a bunch of rules uh, without something to, to be pursuing and to do. It is not God's will to have empty, passionless vessels. He wants to replace all that the enemy has sown and grown with fruits of the Spirit. Amen? So now I want to talk to you a little bit about replacement. About one thing today, and it'll be fairly short from here. But this is some real, I mean, almost anticlimactic maybe, but somebody needs to hear it. Joy casts out mourning. Mourning. God didn't say, stop being sad. God didn't say, stop being depressed. God didn't say, stop mourning. Stop focusing on the loss. Stop, you know, God's word to you is not just to say, stop being sad. Stop being discouraged. Stop being depressed. Don't you know? You ought to stop. Good service. Bless you, Pastor Joe. We'll see you next time. Ah, great, great word, Pastor. Very encouraging, very, very informative. Stop being sad. Stop being depressed. Why didn't I think of that? As I lay there with a pillow over my face, wondering if I can even get up to face the day again. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, when people are so—they try so hard to be helpful, and they're so—and they're so fruitless sometimes. Like you get some of the worst advice sometimes from the people who mean it to be the best. And they say, "Have you ever tried not being depressed? Have you ever—have you ever tried to not be um, discouraged? You know. Have you ever thought, you know, maybe things are uh, um, uh, better than they seem? Or here's my favorite." There's other people got it worse than you do. Thank you. You just want to scream into the pillow. like That doesn't really help. You think I haven't tried not to be depressed? You think I haven't tried not to be discouraged? You think this is my natural state that I have chosen? This is how I want to live? Of course not. Of course not. That's, I hate this. I hate the way that I am. You, If you don't like being around me, think how I feel. I can't get away from me. And I'm constantly uh, you know, covered over in this discouragement. And it may be for a many, many reasons. So superimpose your own reason, whatever maybe you're walking through. Maybe you're walking through terrible loss. And you say, you think, I, you think I wanted to lose this thing. You think I want to think about it every day or every time that I look up, uh, that, that it's, just, it's continually staying with me. You think that's what I want to focus on in my relationship? It's not. The Word of God says in Psalm 30 and 5, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I want to declare to you that it is God's will for the believer to live a life of joy and gladness. Amen. Amen. And if you don't receive that, then uh, then I mean you're going to be discouraged, and you're going to walk that way. And that's not even prosperity preaching, because joy and gladness that comes from God can happen in a dank cell somewhere, where you got two apostles or uh, an apostle, uh, you know, Paul and Silas, and they are clapping, they are lifting their hands, they are praising God, and they have found joy and purpose in their trial and their tribulation. So joy can be anywhere in any situation, and it is God's will for you to walk in fullness of joy. It is God's will for you to be glad. It is God's will to replace the sadness with joy. Amen. Well, how's that work, Pastor? I wish it was just as easy as that, as just knowing that and believing that. Well, I'm going to give you some. Uh, I'm going to give you some teaching on that. Because uh, if you want to be happy, number one, stop relying on somebody else to make you happy. There is only one thing that might happen, and that's you'll drain any happiness out of them. That might happen, but they'll never be able to fully impart in themselves by their own power, joy and happiness unto you. Stop, and, and you know what it's going to happen? You're going to be disappointed in them. So whenever we become codependent and we, and we, we see somebody and we, we want to we try and pull the joy and happiness from them, and we say, in my marriage,, like, my, my wife doesn't make me happy. Well, yes she can't. And it sounds like there's some fairly toxic stuff going on. Because for some reason, your expectation was that she could. Say, my husband, he, he, he don't make me happy. Well, you're supposed to be happy because of what God has done because of what God has imparted, because of who God is, and you're actually supposed to be somebody who is a conduit for the joy of God in other people's lives. And whenever we have constantly focused on one person trying to derive that, that's not going to work long term. We have to actually be involved and proactive. Somebody said proactive. You've got to be proactive in pursuing joy and living in joy. You do. You do. We have a responsibility. Interesting. I thought it was just gonna hit me like a, like a wave because I would say some magic thing or God would do this thing. No, uh, if you wanna live a life of joy, of happiness, of fullness, and you wanna replace the sadness and the, the depression and the, uh, the, the season of mourning, uh, sometimes you have gotta be proactive because God will do the work, but we have to open ourselves up to it. We have to do some stuff. Now, you can't make your own self happy. You can't make give your own, yourself you know, a true source of joy. But firstly, you've got to discover hope. And you've got to quit squelching it. Amen. Stop squelching hope with your words. Somebody come by and try and give you just a little bit of a lift, a little bit of encouraging word, and what do you say? Stop squelching the seed of hope. And learn how to receive it. Stop it with the condescending, hollowed out religious spirit. And learn how to humble yourself and receive a simple word of hope. Say, well, I already know that. That's way below my pay grade. I've heard all these things before. I know, but don't think of it as a bit of knowledge that you've already learned. Think of it as a little bit of a flame. That can kindle something in you if you are to receive it and believe it. Right? It's not just a revelation that's dead in itself. Oh, you know, things are gonna get better. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Stop with that attitude. Maybe reach out with some faith and hope and say, you know what? I'll take that and I'll receive that in the humility and biblical purpose for which it was given. I receive that, maybe things will get better. And I'm going to open up myself to the possibility that maybe God could be who he said he was. Because I've already shut and closed and locked the door on, on anything coming from God that can make me feel better, that can make me operate in that fullness of joy. We have to be open to it. If you're positive that you're not going to be happy, you're not going to live a life of victory and joy, guess what? Thou sayest, And as thou sayest, so it will be. I promise you that. Like, you you may not be able to ignite joy. You may not turn it around, but you can sure kill it. Hope. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall also rest in hope. Allow hope to live without you squelching it. I don't know where I'm at or why I'm doing this today necessarily, other than the Holy Spirit has led me in this direction. I want to tell you there's hope. There is hope. So if you need to hear it from somebody, and if you ain't got nobody else in your life that will tell you, I don't know what your situation it is. I don't know what, to, what you're walking through, I don't know how dark and how depressing it may seem, but there is hope. As long as the grave is empty and that you have the ability and you have made the choice to choose God and put your faith in Him, there is hope for every situation. There is hope for your life, for your relationships, for your future. There is hope. Now you may or may not squelch that. Because I didn't preach it good enough, but it was good enough to light it. And what we do with it is up to us. This is a tough message. It's all right, though. It's not really a tough message. I'm telling you to hope. What am I talking about? Sometimes. Number two, I'm, t- I'm, I'm talking to you about how joy will cast out mourning today, his presence. The presence of God. If, you, if, you're, if you're discouraged, if you're, if you're here today and I'm preaching to you about discouragement, about hardship, about these things, and you feel like you don't have any gladness, you don't have any passion, you don't have any joy or hope for the future, or you're just constantly in that depressed state, then I want to teach you that there are things that you can do proactively. Get in his presence. The word of God says, for you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. How does he make people exceedingly glad? Because we can be in the presence of God. And if you don't know any other way to make yourself happy, if you don't know any other way to pick yourself up or how to turn yourself around, get in the presence of God because I'm telling you, there is something about the presence of God. Things begin to change. Things shift. I mean, you can come in with any kind of mindset, but I promise you, I tell the young men sometimes, I say, be careful who you hang out with, who your friends are, and who you let pour into your life because if you sit in a room with four broke guys for long enough, you'll be the fifth that's good business advice that's good life advice young man hear it if you sit in a room uh, with four lustful perverts for long enough you'll be the fifth But if you sit in a room with godly people who are encouraging, who have a relationship with the Almighty, who are speaking truth, who are speaking life, who have an anointing on their life, I don't care how long you sit there, and you may sit with your arms crossed and pout for a little while. We've heard that before. But eventually, something's going to hit you, and you're going to be shifted and moved along with the current of God's anointing. And if you stay long enough around God's people, you stay long enough in the presence around the throne of the Almighty God, that I'm telling you, I'm preaching better than you're listening a little bit, because if you have not experienced that, you should. You should stay in the presence of God long enough for Him to shift things. He will shift things. You ever tried to make somebody laugh, and then they're, they're trying not to? They're trying to still be discouraged? You know? And then finally they awkwardly break? You know? And then they go right back to it. people who are just Constantly discouraged, but, and you keep working on them, and you keep working on them. I got a really good picture in the scripture, trying to be sad in God's presence. The Bible says he'll wipe away every tear. Because if you stay in his presence, you can't keep crying. You can't stay depressed. You can't stay discouraged. Get in his presence. Stay in his presence. Because the Bible, I don't care what your experience is. I don't care what your situation is, to be honest with you. I don't. I don't care what your theology is, because it's wrong if it don't line up with the Bible. The Word of God says, in His presence is fullness of joy. So you can take your sadness and your discouragement and your disgruntled attitude in there. But I guarantee you—you uh, you ever heard about that uh, about that old donkey they used to use sometimes out on the range? And you would have a, a you know a steer, you know, with these long horns, and he'd be a tough old brindle steer. But they would take a donkey and they would tie it one rope to him and one rope to the to the steer, and they'd send him off into the woods together. No matter how big or how strong that thing was, eventually a few days later, sometimes that thing would come back that steer, submissive and humble and worn out and beat up, and that donkey would lead him back to the corral. Because while he might not have been stronger and he might not have been bigger, he was a lot more stubborn, and he acted as a force of nature. And so no matter how long that steer would keep on pushing and pulling and dragging his tail all over the place, eventually he got tired and bummed out enough to where he would just meekly and humbly let me tell you something about your discouragement you're and you're upset and you're mad you're you got you're walking all through this stuff get in the presence of God and see which one comes out on top if you stay it's submerged in the presence of God and you worship the Lord and you stay near him you stay close to him you give him your burdens you let those things fight it out let your discouragement fight it out with the goodness of God and see who comes back dragging who eventually he, there will be fullness of joy because in his presence there can be only one winner now if you want to go do it outside or somewhere else or alone here's a here's a good bit of teaching for you would you like it there's a difference between isolation and solitude jesus enjoyed some solitude he got alone with god and it was a good and, and encouraging thing you should do that sometimes but solitude is getting alone with God, and isolation is getting alone with you. And that will lead to bad things. That will lead to discouragement. That will lead to problems. Now you get alone with God? Exactly what I just said will happen. You'll win. Uh, joy will overcome the mourning. But you get alone with you? My money's on you and you're not who you want to be speaking into your life constantly amen praise god his presence there are just some people you cannot be depressed around and you cannot stay in a bad mood around and you say oh yes i can matter of fact i can ruin their day too (laughs) well tell you what no you can't because some people have an anointing now this is interesting You cannot stay in God's presence continually and be discouraged and downcast. He says, you will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and God does not lie. There is an anointing of gladness. Now, this is just some down-home preaching. Somebody say the word glad. We don't use that a whole lot. But you have made me glad. That was awesome that that was kind of like one of the, you know, the kind of the crescendos of the worship today. You have made me glad. You have made me glad. You have made me glad. Let's dissect that six different ways. You have made me glad. You have made me glad. You have made me glad. There's a a lot of ways to look at that. But if you will let him, he will make you glad. There's an anointing. This is such a simplistic thing. You, were talk, you, you want me to talk about some deep, um, you know, super, uber spiritual anointing, some, some, th- some other kind of uh, uh, you know, some deep secret knowledge or in-depth theological terminology. I'm talking about the anointing of gladness. The Word of God says, Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45 and 7. You know, Saul was beyond loss. Saul was beyond a bad mood. King Saul was beyond hormonal or chemical imbalances. King Saul was oppressed by demonic spirits of hell. King Saul had it as bad as you can have it. He had deep-seated, powerful, life-altering oppression from the enemy on him to where he had the entire kingdom. He had a healthy uh, lineage and family that loved him. He had uh, had all the wealth that you could possibly desire. He had great fame. Uh, He was tall. He was powerful. He was majestic. Uh, He had been victorious in battle. He he lived in the palace. Nobody had it better than Saul. But somehow he was still more discouraged, more depressed, more oppressed than anybody else around. You had people out in a smelly uh, sheep farm that were happier than him. Him. All everybody around him seemed like they were happier than him, because not always does, uh, does oppression or discouragement have anything to do with the surroundings. sometimes it's a spirit, right? Saul was beyond all that. First Samuel 16:23 said, "And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. And I believe that some people have an anointing to be happy. Isn't that some really basic, almost Sunday school sounding stuff? I believe that some people have an anointing to be joyful, to bring encouragement and gladness into dark and discouraged places. You say, why? Because I've seen it happen. I have seen people bring joy wherever they go. There's a lot of powerful anointings. There's a lot of powerful things that you can see God do to where he heals the, the the blinded eyes and he can and he raises from the dead and he causes these great words of revelation to happen and and, and the might and the power and the awe but sometimes the anointing doesn't li- I told Sherry you know not too long ago I said sometimes the anointing is in an embrace and for those of you who don't know uh, what the story was behind that uh, there was a young girl who was struggling I believe with suicidal thoughts and just terrible terrible stuff and, and the Holy Spirit just began to move into, uh, to um, stir Sherry, uh, to just go over there. And so she just went over there in a very appropriate way to the young lady and just embraced her and began to pray over her. And, 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 and God began to move. The young lady began to weep. Eventually, you know, she, uh, she came forward, and God touched her life in a powerful way. And she wrote a note right before she left that Sunday, and it said something akin to, uh, It's going to be all right. I'm going to be okay. And so some of you didn't know exactly what I was talking about there when I made mention of it. But I said the anointing was just in an embrace, a, a proper embrace. Because sometimes the anointing is not some dude up here with a, with a microphone and tie. Sometimes the anointing is just when people do, uh, just out of the goodness of God in their heart and the joy of their salvation. And they step into a situation and they bring light into the darkness. And they bring hope where there is no hope. And if you've never been a recipient, I'm sorry. But uh, if you stick around God's people long enough, you'll need it and you'll get it. Thank God for the joy. Amen. Joy is a big deal. Matter of fact, the Bible says something really interesting. Now, obviously, Jesus died on the cross because he wanted to fulfill the work of the Father, to please the Father. But it also uses a different word there. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How does that work? Because of joy, I got crucified. Because of joy, I walked through the worst things imaginable. Yet there was joy. Because there is joy in fulfilling the work that God has created you to do. There is joy in the Lord. So how can I have the anointing of gladness? That sounds like a good anointing to have. Number one, you have to choose hope. Amen? Can't nobody else choose it for you. Even Saul, because you're thinking, well, you know, didn't David come and bring the goods and then bring it to him? Well, who, who called for David? Saul. Saul was open to receiving the anointing that was on David's life. And that manifested in a powerful way, and it drove away the spirit that was on Saul. So even then we see that there is a little bit of agency involved. There's a little bit of purpose. There's there something going on there. He said, he said go, go, go get David who plays with skill and, and anointing and understanding. And, you know, he's, he's, he, he, he can help me here. So number one, folks, you have got to be open to receiving hope. Put your hope all in God. Number 2. I want you to hear this now. Do whatever it takes to be in his presence as much as you can and as often as you can. You 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 want to, don't don't be don't be upset or mad at God say, "Well, I'm just so discouraged, I'm so distraught, I'm so downcast." Well, we, but but we sit there like a bump on a log whenever we feel the spear begin to move. And the oil is being poured out, and God is engaging, and the Spirit is here. And you know that if maybe if you would lift your hands, or if you'd step out of your seat, or if you would raise your voice to sing, or if you would just receive a little bit of what's being poured out from God's servants, that you know, you know what, that would probably make a difference. But we sit there and we and we just let it pass, right? And there's a lot of reasons why you might. But you have got to avail yourself to the cure. You come to church every 16 weeks and wonder why you don't have a continuity of joy and victory in your life well I'm no genius I'm also no moron I would get hungry too I would begin to starve if I forsook the source of my joy regularly and purposefully right? right? There's got to be an intentionality because the Word of God says in His presence is fullness of joy. Get get, get where, if you're dry, get where it's wet. Do what you've got to do to get into the presence of God Almighty. God will send people to you who you tend to send away or roll your eyes at. They're encouragement, or their uplifting, even their anointing, shame on us if we've rolled our eyes at the anointing on somebody's life. that got sent to us. What kind of oil do you put on his mouth when he's teething? Copa Iba oil. Sounds like nonsense to me, but it seems to be working at least a little bit. So uh, whenever Judah begins to, uh, begins to teethe, where's he at? He's sleeping. Let him, let him, Lord, let him, um. So whenever he begins to teeth and he's he's cutting his teeth and and he's crying, he's getting whiny and he's upset and he's discouraged. And the thing is, he's a happy baby. How many of you have known by now that's a smiley baby? He is happy all the time. He just, every picture that we take, we don't have to pose. He is happy. He is smiling. He is full of the joy of the Lord already. And I love a happy baby. But whenever he gets to feeling bad, whenever he gets a fever and, you know, he's teething and, and he's in pain and he doesn't feel too good. Uh, and then Polly, has, she outs with her bag of oils. She's got an oil for everything, two for some. And she's saying, let me get the little Copa Iba on him. And then she'll put it in his mouth. And then sometimes he'll he'll take it and he'll get to feeling better. Sometimes he'll spit it right back out all over his his little kerchief thing, his little neck kerchief thing, his bib, yeah, his bib, and he won't receive his oil, and he don't get the result of gladness that he could have, and it's amazing to day after day and week after week sit up here and see some people act about like that. And I see I see the worship team, Sister Jessica up here, he has made me glad. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad. We should be glad. And she's just going off, and I was just like, Man, where'd she get the energy? Yeah. She loves it. She loves the Lord. She has got the anointing of gladness over her. Right? Yeah. Jake could be back there singing a little bit. And you know when Jake's feeling it, he'll go, he'll go ah. anybody know exactly what I just did and you know what I'm talking about? That's one of Jake's moves. Mike doesn't move too much, but every once in a while, you know, need a white boy, but every once in a while, he'll, you know, he'll show you he's got some joints, you know, just a little bit, just a little bit. D- not much, just a little bit, right? Oh, and you can tell people are getting a little bit glad, right? Praise God for the joy of my salvation. And if I get in his presence for long enough, and if I will not keep spitting out what God's trying to put in you today, just receive what God would have for you today. If you would receive a word of encouragement in due season, if you would open yourself and say, you know what? It may be simple. That wasn't the best message I heard, but it was the message I needed today. That is hope. I got a little bit of hope kindling the fire a little bit and so now I'm beginning to believe God I'm I'm beginning to hear these things and you know what not only am I believing you I'm believing Him now and all of a sudden there is fullness of joy and there is joy in the presence of the Lord He's drying my eyes He's filling me with hope and now I can face the day now I can face tomorrow now I can face my job, my situation my discouragement, I can stand And have fullness of joy. Let us worship the Lord today and receive the oil of gladness. Hallelujah.